With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to NBNR, the authority on unfiltered opinions and authentic player insight for Nebraska athletics. Connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, and at NBNRpodcast.com. We have a saying, no block, no rock. You know, we just really love Hunter. He's a junkyard dog. <laughs> Kenny Bell ran up to me and like, you know what you just what you just did? <laughs> you get mad. You're going to get in the portal and go to another podcast? You know, usually dumbbells are in pairs. They had five dumbbells. Hang <laughs> <laughs> on it, Muhammad! GBR. Go Big Red Indeed, Season 2, Episode 38, coming at you from the Nebraska Brewing Company Tap Room in La Vista, Nebraska, same as it ever was. So I come into the tap room, right, to record this little podcast episode, and this guy over here, Connor Cadillac. That's me. He says, Jared, you got to try. You got to try this new beer that's on tap, and it's going to be canned very soon. How soon? Uh... If you're listening to this right now, it is today. Like, if you go into the store, you can buy this in a can. And it is called the There Will Be Blood IPA. Now, Connor, get into this IPA because I'm drinking it and I'm going to Hy-Vee today sure. or tomorrow sure. to buy this. Yeah. Give me some more info on this IPA. So, There Will Be Blood Orange is a blood orange IPA. It is meant to be a little bit fruitier. It's not going to be super piney. It's I, I understand a lot of people get scared when they hear the letters IPA. Ah, Mike's yeah. going, ah! I can see him right now. He's shaking in his boots. Jesus. He's shaking. Grow up. But <laughs> it, it is not the scary IPAs you imagine. They are nice and fruity. In fact, we've had several IPAs over the last couple of months that we've slowly gotten Mike to enjoy. And while Mike not might not be drinking an IPA today, he is drinking... So, just to touch on your point on IPAs. <laughs> so, oh, so, yeah. just to, hold on. Let's go back. Yeah, no, you no, got to no, backtrack uh, a little bit. Nothing, nothing crazy. It's like, okay, so you started me with the, the Shake and Bake IPA, which we have all established. That is the training bra IPA. It's good. For the non-IPA drinkers, the people who like the light beer, try the Shake and Bake IPA. Now, we shifted Mike to the next IPA, which is called the Cozy IPA. Oh, So, yeah. that is, in Mike's opinion... The push-up bra IPA. Okay. So it's like, okay, you're an IPA drinker. You're flaunting it a little bit. Mm. Not too much, you know, not too much, but you're okay. flaunting it a little bit. All right. Yeah. So yes, IPAs, scary word, three letters, very scary. Now, what is Mike drinking tonight? Okay. Mike is drinking that Lemon Radler 2.0. It is going in cans very soon. It's and already in cans. Oh, it's actually. A- it's, it'll be available in about one week. Okay. So okay. it'll be available in one week. And it is in perfect time for summer season mm. when you're sitting there drinking by the pool or by the lake, floating the river, or if you're, you know, in September drinking at a tailgate sponsored by no block, no rock, hmm. you're going to be drinking a lemon Radler 2.0 beer from Nebraska Brewing company. Excellent day drinking beer. Drink those. It's it's a low ABV, so you can pound a bunch of them. And it, it's just a, it's a great overall good tasting beer. Yeah. Kyle, Kyle, we haven't talked about what you're drinking. 
Yeah. So I'm still on the cozy IPA. Okay. He's he's a cozy boy. Just That's like Mike. Push up, bro. I'm not an IPA guy. I'm not a craft beer drinker in general. Oh, Pony. However, since the beginning of this podcast and our our relationship with the Brass Brewing Company, they have widened my horizons Ooh. on the craft beer. My yeah. palate it's is fancy. so much wider. It's you guys fancy. can't see it, but he winked at me when he said that. Yeah, huh? yeah. So, so yeah, the, the Cozy IPA, just like Mike is describing, it is fantastic. All right? I, I, I love this stuff. I say it pretty much every week that I try some new beer, but it is delicious. Cheers. Yeah. I can vouch. And like they say, world class in every glass. All right. Let's get into this interview that we had with Jared Crick, former black shirt defensive lineman. First defensive lineman on No Block, No Rock. I mean, look, this interview, guys, it was over Zoom, but it was, I can't even, we've had many Zoom interviews, even in-person interviews. This guy lines up just as well with all the other ones. I mean, it's, it was awesome. Line up, is that a joke? No pun intended. <laughs> Line up. No, but I mean, yeah, we we I mean, we talked the relationship between him paying, playing on the de- defensive line with Nadamik and Sue mm-hmm. and his time in the NFL and he just I mean, yeah, he just, he knocked it out of the park. It was beautiful. So, enough talking, enough Nebraska Brewing Company, enough us talking. Let's get into the Jared Crick interview. All right. So, Jared Crick, the first thing that I want to ask you, when you're growing up, in Cozad, Nebraska. I'm just going to assume that you were a diehard Husker fan growing up. You assume, right? Yeah. I, uh, okay. We didn't have cable back in the day, so we didn't get to catch all the games. But obviously, they were winning. You know, everything was going very well. It was hard not to, you know, get involved in it. And obviously, everybody in my, you know, I imagine all in Nebraska about that time. You know, everybody grew up thinking that they were going to end up playing football for Nebraska. And it was always a dream. You know, it's kind of funny. It's not everywhere. But my goal is to play for Nebraska. I could care less about the NFL. So I was more excited when I got to Lincoln, you know, to start my college career than I was my NFL career. So it was it was it was a good time growing up in those in those days. I wish, you know, the youth of today could kind of experience that same thing. So it's not too late. Hopefully we can get to that point again. That's kind of different from what we what we hear a lot nowadays is a lot of players coming out of high school, they're like, what place can I go to that will best prepare me for pro ball? And they don't think about, you know, what's my college experience going to be like? Who's going to, you know, what's my, if you're going to Nebraska, you know, and they were at the, they were pretty good when you were growing up. So it probably wasn't a tough decision, but a lot of a lot of people are like, okay, well, who's going to prepare, prepare me to go to the NFL now? Right. And my honestly, if I were the same player that I was in high school coming out today, I don't think my mentality would change too much because I really had no – I didn't think I was really that good. I mean, I knew I was good enough <laughs> to go ahead and play D1 ball somewhere. Um, but, you know, Nebraska took a shot on me, and I ended up panning out. But I had no aspirations going to NFL. Didn't think I'd be good enough. Hardly thought I'd, you know, do anything once I got to Lincoln, but just found in, you know, with the right coaches, the right people, the right support system and kind of downhill from there. So you're talking about, you know, just a true Nebraska boy through and through coming through. 
Um, I mean, can you talk about recruiting process at all? Was there any other schools that were trying to get your ear a little bit? Or was it always just like, hey, I'm going to Nebraska. Let's 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 cut it off. Or did you entertain or listen to other recruiters? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was trying to think kind of when Division One offers started coming in, because after my junior year, you know, we were pretty good. But again, I wasn't expecting anything. You know, I was maybe expecting a letter from Hastings or something like that. <laughs> um, so we shot out our, this is like right when DVDs for, you know, your film tapes are, you know, DVDs were the thing back then. It wasn't YouTube or nothing like that. Yep. So we just shot out a highlight tape, no big deal. Thinking, all right, cool. Whatever comes, comes. Well, it wasn't but a week and a half later, KU, they sent me a letter saying like, all right, we want some more information. So obviously I sent it right back as fast as I could. One, but maybe five days later, I got a full ride scholarship and I was about ready to commit then and there. I was like, okay, this is good. It's going to get like, sign me up, like reserve my spot today. Well, I got talked out of it. So, you know, I started waiting a little bit. I was still pretty hooked on KU, but K-State came calling. Iowa State came calling. Wyoming, more and more the Big 12 North, kind of the surrounding area. Not Nebraska yet. Um, But once I started getting more and more Big 12 offers, Big 12 South, uh, tension, I'll say, started coming in. And then that's when Nebraska, I think, finally figured out, like, hey, we got a kid who's here in Nebraska. He's getting recruited by, you know, KU everywhere else, every all of our rivals. We should probably, you know, do our due diligence and look into the kid. So I got a letter from him. I got a call from Jay Norvell. He was there at the time. Um, they just kind of wanted to figure out what I was about. But it was probably, you know, a couple of weeks later, I was down in Austin. We were actually doing like an unofficial visit at UT. And this is right after they won the national championship. So it was kind of right there in the meat of things. That's when they called me and said, all right, we want to offer you a scholarship. And it wasn't too much longer. I figured, you know, I'd only be delaying the inevitable. I just went ahead and committed. I was on the phone with Callahan. He's like, you want to do this? Like, yeah, bro, sign me up. I'm ready. Love it. You know, some people might look at that KU offer and like might maybe scoff at it. But in 2007, and I, I can't remember if you're either a freshman in college or a senior in high school, but they were coming off a 12 and one season. You know, that, that was their big Todd Reesing year. So They're it's back. not, that's nothing to scoff at, especially no, it's now. Funny. Cause that was the year we went five and seven and Callahan and his crew got fired. So yeah, that's when KU was in the Orange Bowl beating, I think it was Virginia Tech, somebody like that. Someone pretty good, at least. I'm starting to think I made the wrong choice, man. Here I am in the worst situation possible. Even though I'm in my home state and everything like that, it's like, man, I should have went to KU. KU's not that far from home. My parents could have still drove down every game. Like, what was I thinking? But Bo came around, saved the day, and obviously I stayed in Nebraska. Saved the day. I was going to say, so coming out of what we would call a year of turmoil for Nebraska, when you got in, were there points where you thought like, oh my God, I really should have gone somewhere else? Or did you really have like, as a Nebraska boy, like you knew this is where you were meant to be? I knew this is where I was supposed to be. Um, but I also wanted to win. And it didn't help that pretty much everybody I came in, my whole recruiting class was looking at transfer options. Um, once Callahan got fired, well, really ever since, you know, it was the writing was on the wall that Callahan and his class were going to get fired. So we, I know a lot of guys and I won't say names, but, uh, cause a lot of them turned out to have really good careers at Nebraska, but everybody was looking to go either back home or, you know, what their next, and this is way before the portal, obviously. And, you know, guys yeah. are already like, how do I get out of Dodge? Like, this is bad. 
And I think a lot of people would have transferred out if it wasn't, you know, Bo, because Bo was coming out of LSU. They just won the title. Like, he already had a pedigree at Nebraska. Like, he already had a name. And everybody who played for him, that kind of was around the program a little bit. You know, when Bo was here in 2003, guys who were still hanging on there, I mean, they were young pups when Bo was here the first time. But they were, you know, redshirt seniors. They said, stick it out. This dude's awesome. You're going to love him. You're going to hate him a little bit, but you're going to love him. He knows defense. And that's where we were. That's, you know, that's where we were bad at in that year was defense. Our offense was putting up 35 points a game. It wasn't the offense. It was the defense. We were giving up 42. You can't win like that. So we knew where the defense was going to, you know, improve. Our offense was already pretty stellar. Um, Just it was, you know, kind of a no-brainer once they hired Bo to, all right, let's just stay. At least the defensive guy said, all right, we're all staying. And obviously you saw that with Sue and, you know, guys who ended up, you know, Prince, guys who ended up having really good, not only careers in the rest, you know, at Nebraska, but also in the NFL. So, so in today's day and age in the transfer portal, is it safe to assume that had the rules been as lax as they are today, do you think that the team kind of would have dispersed quicker or do you think, do you think everybody kind of would have went their separate ways faster and, and not stuck around? You know, I don't know, man, because I hate to, you know, be the guy, you know, get off my, get off my lawn, but we were, we were built a little bit different. We were a little bit more thick skin, I guess, if you will, where guys, yeah, we were wanted. And if it would have been a whole lot easier to get out, I'm sure a lot of, you know, a couple guys would have, but the majority, you know, kind of the, I guess the, uh, the mainstay, I mean, we would all stuck it out. Cause like I said, we knew someone was going to come in to help us win. Whereas nowadays it seems like kid doesn't matter, if, you know, Nick Saban came in to coach your team. If they want to go, they're going to go. They don't care whether they're winning or losing, especially with this NIL deal. They're going where the money's at. It's all it's all weird, but I'd like to think that if my class were to do it again in today's era, you know, we obviously would look at our options, but I think the majority of us would stay, stick it out, and try to right the ship. Well, and you bringing that up, it's like we're kind of glad that they stuck it out because you guys probably had – the last great defense at Nebraska, 2009. Uh, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that team and why it was so special? I think it was just, you know, the guys. And it wasn't, you know, obviously we were uber talented. That always helps. But yeah. the, just the cohesion that we had, I mean, from the defensive line all the way back to the safeties. I mean, I could have sat down with Matt O'Hanlon and we could sit there and talk all night. Same thing with Sue and I. That's I mean, just there wasn't a position – on the defense that wasn't cool with another position. Whereas when we were really bad, defensive line hung out together, linebackers hung out together, DBs hung out together, that was it. Everybody was clicked. I mean, nobody really wanted anything to do with each other. Whereas, you know, 09, like I said, we all hung out together. We all did things together. We built that brotherhood. And then come, you know, Saturdays, we had each other's back. If someone was going to get in a fight, we are all going to get in a fight. And obviously, <laughs> Tough to do that in the game because you get flags everywhere and that's not so good. But during, you know, fall camp, you know, iron sharpens iron, man. So we were we we're out there struggling in the heat. And I think that's what really did it for us. We just just built that, you know, continuity and just killed it. And like I said, well, obviously we were all good football players, but and then it obviously helped having the leadership that we had. You know, Sue, he pretty much ran the, the defensive tackles, BT, Barry Turner, defensive ends, two guys who had a lot of snaps under their belt. Philip Dillard, you know, controlled the linebackers. Then Matt O'Hanlon, Larry Asante, they controlled the whole defensive back. So we had great leadership, great continuity, great talent. You put those things together, you're going to be really good. Yeah, I'd, so I'd agree. I think 
you guys obviously an incredibly talented team, but like you're touching on right now is I think the best thing that come out of that era was the culture of Nebraska football. And can you speak to how that, like you, you said, iron sharpens iron. Was there a, like this really inner competitiveness between you? And do you have any good stories between you and other players about how competitive you were to be the best player on that field? I mean, man, yeah, there's, there's definitely stories. I don't know how many of them guys want out there, but I mean, <laughs> during fall camp, obviously every, every snaps a fight. Like, you know, I went against Keith Williams pretty much every snap for almost three years. And if Keith wasn't over there, I don't know if I would have became the player that I was because he was one of the top guards and not just the big 12, but all of the kind. He never got the credit he deserved. I mean, he should have been all American. He was that tough. He came off the rock hard. He passed blocked very well. And me going against him, practicing against him every day, that made me immensely better. And I'm hoping that, you know, what I brought to the table helped Keith as well. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it did. But then you had Sue on the other side going against Ricky Henry. I mean, two guys who that's that's what they want to do, man. They they're just they're fighters, dude. They're warriors. And a lot of fights came, you know, about I'm sure you've heard some stories already. But then you like oh, yeah. Jake Hickman, Mike Caputo, Marcel Jones, Yoshi. Well, Yoshi wasn't there yet, but uh, just DJ Jones, all them guys, man. We're just battling every single day, everything, every period in the practice. It was a battle. I mean, you wanted to win. You had to win. And if you didn't win, you were you were pretty pissed off about it. So, I mean, I, it's just a mentality where I got to win. I can't let my team down. And that was that. And if you did let your team down, you felt horrible and you felt sick. And then you came back with a vengeance the next day to correct it. So that was just kind of it. Everybody had that same mindset where I'm not going to lose. And you're definitely not going to be the one to beat me. So a guy that you've mentioned a few times, um, Heisman winner and Dominican Sue. <laughs> I've heard of him. Heisman winner. Heard of right? him. I've heard of him. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> the politics of all that. I mean, that's, that's sick. And I realize if they would have voted after the big 12, he probably would have won it. Um, but the fact that he didn't, I mean, it's, it's pretty sad. Uh, I mean, if, even if I didn't come to Nebraska, even though I wasn't his friend, like if I were just a defensive player at, you know, wherever I would have been like, that's kind of crap. Like the guy is dominant. And you should, I mean, the things that he used to do didn't really come up on ESPN and stuff like that. Like the little things that helped the linebackers, the DBs on the back end. I mean, it's 11 guys, you know, playing together. It wasn't just Sue out there ragdolling everybody in this. I mean, everybody had their job, but we also did little things that supported everybody else. And the thing, he did that to perfection. And he's still doing that to this day where, I mean, the Heisman voters, I don't think they see that. They just see, they just want to see sacks, tackles, TFLs. That kind of thing, which he had already. Which he had, yeah. by the way. Which he had. <laughs> a, a, couple. So, a couple. I don't. I really don't know what you have to do. I remember somebody from Oregon asked me for uh, for that Kayvon Thibodeau, I think his name was. They were yep. asking for something for their article, you know, talking about him maybe winning the Heisman. I said, if Sue didn't win it, this kid's not going to win it. And that's period. I don't think yeah. the player's going to win it again if you don't give it to Sue that year. Yeah, Sue set the precedent. So if, if there is a defensive tackle or a linebacker, et cetera, that wins it, it's because Sue crawled so you could fly. You know yeah. what I'm saying? That's it. That's exactly yeah. it. And you did kind of get into, you know, what Sue did that didn't exactly show up on the stat sheet. So what was it like the next year in 2010 when you didn't have the, the Sue next to you? Did you find that it was more difficult? to go game by game did t 
teams focus on you more. Just kind of get into the next year after Sue is gone and any difficulties that you maybe experience with that. It wasn't a huge uh, discrepancy, I guess I'll say, because the later part of 2009, so Sue's last year there, once I started coming on, racking up sacks, TFLs, I started to see more double teams come my way. And that's when you saw Sue start to rack up a whole bunch of stats. And then the offenses yeah. didn't know what to do. They'd switch my way. He'd have stats. TFL, he'd, he'd kill it. They'd go to Sue. I'd kill it. They tried to double us both. The defensive ends would kill it. So, I mean, we just had a <laughs> vicious. I mean, they couldn't stop it. And I don't like to toot, you know, my own horn too much. But, I mean, that's we were the most dominant defensive line in I know school history. A lot of people probably dispute that. Yeah. Jason Peter history. is pissed. Yeah, yeah you're pissing off Jason Peter and Grant Wistrom. That's all right. They got they got rings, so they can they can fall back on that. that. But, yeah. But, I mean, you just look across, you know, our stats across the board. I mean, I saw there was a comparison uh, probably about a year ago. They had like Texas or Oklahoma, Ohio State, their defensive line stats, and they had Sue stats, and Sue had better stats than their whole defensive line. Yeah. It's like, well, put the whole Nebraska defensive lineup and we blow everybody out of the water oh, by yeah. three, right? So it was it was fun, but so I'm getting off track a little bit. So going no, into do it, you're right on track. I had already seen my fair share of doubles. I kind of knew how to handle them. It was now just kind of bringing Baker along, trying to, you know, fill that role. And it was tough because, you know, Baker, he's obviously – He's a big, strong kid. He's definitely not a Sioux, but I'm definitely not a Sioux either. I was more the lightning to his thunder. So Baker and I kind of had that. It took about five, six games to kind of figure each other out where neither of us are Sioux, but I'm going to still be me from that. But I got to take on a little bit more of a physical role because I'm seeing more double teams. And that's that's just something that takes time. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. Took Sue and I a little bit to get you know used to that as well. So once Baker started raising his level of play, things kind of got back to normal. I started getting a little bit more sacks. Defensive end started having a little bit more uh, success. And uh, 2010 obviously wasn't as great as 2009, but we still had a pretty solid defensive line. Defense in general, um, 2010. Yeah. Well, and don't don't shy away from him. And I mean, Sue was good, but I mean, we're we're talking. Let's talk a little bit about that Baylor game where Jared Crick gets five sacks, seven tackles for loss, sets a school record. I mean, both. yeah, I mean, no come deal. on now. Like, yeah, no, we're not, I, we're not we are, this isn't the, the Sioux show. This is the Jared, Jared Crick show. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, look, talk about that game. Talk about the mentality. I mean, do you remember every play? Cause I mean, that was, that's gotta be your favorite game in college, right? Come on. You know, it's sad. Like Baylor might be the name, the game that I remember the least. For whatever wow. reason, I don't know if it's just because I was so amped up that, you know, cognitively I'm not, you know, recording things or I'm just I'm just out there playing. I'm not even enjoying the moment. But I will say this. So I got a lot of family in Texas. So I had probably like 30 some family members there, cousins, aunts, uncles, grandma, grandpa, grandma, you know, the whole like. And it was pretty cold in Nebraska that week. So going down to Texas, you are finally in the heat again. You're starting to feel some warm weather. So everything like the biorhythms are right. Everything just felt great going against a pretty, I mean, they were, there were a couple of guys who had some snaps in their belt, but the Baylor offense line, they were pretty inexperienced. I'll say a couple of freshmen that were playing. And then they sent their center to sue pretty much every single play. They didn't matter what I did. What <laughs> did. Like I had four sacks and they were still double team and sue. It's like, okay, I guess I'll keep going. <laughs> okay. I guess I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. 
but it was it was a lot of fun I mean obviously that was that was a game where it was hard to enjoy it though because you know we I think we almost lost the lead there towards the end and some kind of way we got it back or you know closed the game out I don't know but it was you know it was a nail biter the entire way through and we're thinking this is Baylor dude like and we're already coming off I think two three losses in a row you know the the mood was kind of sour as is so it's just kind of like let's just scratch and claw get this win and then I didn't even realize, you know, how many sacks I actually had until, you know, Coach Carl, he came up to me and, you know, gave me a big hug. He was like, do you even realize what you just did? Like, nah, man, I know I had some good stats. Like, you broke freaking two school records, buddy. Like, that's unheard of. <laughs> it's like, right on. At the time, it was really cool. Five sacks, that's a ton. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, Sue gets four and a half. So it's like, wow. Well, eh, another day big... in the office. Yeah. <laughs> So it, it was cool, like man. That, that was my breakout game, that's for sure. So for games like that where you're just absolutely going nuts, did you find that, like you said, that you weren't really even paying attention to, like, your stats or anything like that? When you were in the zone, were you ever, like, cognizant, like you were just playing great? Or was it always just like, I'm here, I'm getting things done, this is what I'm here to do? Or did were you ever, was that ever in your mind? Like, obviously, you know when you're playing good. I mean, you know you're getting tackles here left and right. But you're still it's kind of kind of hard to describe, really. But I mean, you're still in the game. You're still, you know, scratching clawing. Even though I had a lot of stats, there was still a lot of snaps. I wish I probably would have had back um, a lot of a lot more stats that I probably left on the field. But you're just out there fighting, man. You're just just fist fight every single snap, just doing whatever you can to help your brothers on the field. And like I said those tackles are going to somebody. They just so happen to go to me that day. And you know, for whatever reason, it was just, it was just my day. And sometimes that's the way it goes. You know, you just, things fall in your lap and you can't complain about it. You just, all right, man, if I'm going to get all these, at least, you know, if it's going to help us win, I'll be that dude today. Okay, Jared, I hate to do this to you. I hate to do this to all of us. Oh Uh-oh. no. <laughs> oh no. December 5th, 2009, big 12 championship. Mm. It's often said, you know, attitude, reflects leadership right like you you take after who your leader is right you know Bo Pelini he's commented on this very fairly recently you know he's still sticking by the BCS wanted Texas in so that's why they put the second back on the clock now at the time did you guys all buy into that did you think that it should should have been a W looking back on it these 13 years later. Ooh, 13 years. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, what, what time, are your feelings? What are your feelings? Obviously I'm heartbroken. I mean, it, try not to think about it too much, but there's always those days when, especially when they pull it up on ESPN, you know, one of the great games of the big 12 and this and that is like, well, great. You gotta, you gotta bring that shit up, but it's, <laughs> it's a lot. Time, you know, cause it was just another snap. And then all of a sudden you see, you know, our sideline running onto the field like, okay, we fucking won. Like, awesome. <laughs> but then, you know, the rest get together. You knew something bad was going to happen to us. Just, that's just kind of the way it's zebras. Been. Yeah, I mean, they were getting together. Mac Brown was over there, like, you know, screaming. And it's like, okay, did we win? Did we not win? What's the deal? So I never really saw kind of what happened until we were watching film the next day. And, you know, pretty much all the coaching staff was like, you guys got robbed, but you got to move on. Like, it's tough. It's going to hurt. It's going to sting more than it probably does already but we got to move on. We got another game to play. And at that time, I don't know if we were still in the fight for a BCS because Texas was going to the, to the natty. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we still had a chance at a BCS. I'm probably not. But they said, if in case you do, like, we got to be ready. And we ended up playing Arizona in the Holiday Bowl, smoked them. Um, so we never got a chance to really sit there and soak about it. Because I think, I think Bo, he's been, he's seen enough football to know, like, heartbreak games, get them past it. Get the kids moving, get them they to the next one. Because if they sit there and they dwell on it, they're just going to fall into quicksand, man. It's going to be real bad for everybody. So, but looking back now, like, I don't know. It's it's tough because I can kind of see the the official standpoint. Like, well, if there's still a little bit of time when the ball hits, like if I'm Texas, I'm saying, yeah, there's a second on that clock, man. What are we doing? Yeah. Uh, but it is what it is. Can't dwell on it. We should have two Big 12 rings, not just that year, but 2010, we should have another one that we let slip through our fingers. Just kind of been the Nebraska curse. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you brought up the Nebraska curse, and we were talking about this today on Twitter. Uh, with uh, Brandon Kavanaugh and it's funny. It's like, okay, so Frank Solage, he, in, he's got, um, has a chance to be in the college football hall of fame. And then you're talking about all these conspiracies. You got, you know, bring back blonde Herbie. You got fly Frank Solage in on a helicopter to the, to the 50 yard line. You got kill little red. You got bring back Coca-Cola. Is there anything that can heal the curse that is Nebraska football, dude. I don't know. I don't know. You gotta you gotta do something. It's because it's it's kind of weird, you know. Because they're in, what was it, two thousand one, when everything kind of fell apart a little bit. Yep. I just remember like the second to last game was like K State at home or something. Because I went to that game. That was probably my first. Actually, I might be the curse because that was my first game ever at Memorial Stadium. No. Then the next week we get blown out. <laughs> get I'm, not special, I'm not special enough <laughs> to hold those powers, man. I don't. Can't be. Yeah, I don't know because it's weird. I mean, it would be. You just need to come back. Dude, that was my next question. Until he said he might be the curse, was do you have any years of eligibility left, or do you want to coach? Um, I should. I should have half a year. So my the second half of my senior year, I was on IR. I was done. So I at least should have five games left. Have you called Scott? What are you doing? Oh man, I'm I'm an old man now. I'd no, no, no. If Scott hasn't called you, we have a problem. <laughs> we we needed a lot of D-line depth if you didn't notice. <laughs> I, I hear they're struggling. It's, you, it's been weird. You could just be the latest transfer portal. Yeah, bump that class I, up a little I, I'm, bit. I'm coming from the insurance company back in. I'm transferring, baby. <laughs> I say, especially with the NIL stuff, why not? Yeah. yeah. Get in on that a little bit. So right now, since we're talking about, you know, former games and memorable moments and everything like that, I want to take us back to the sack on Keith Price, the quarterback for Washington. <laughs> you had, no, you had oh, immediate reaction. dead the rights from behind, okay? And it, I'm telling you, it's probably a top 10 most violent college sacks that I have ever seen. Can you talk about, like, is it tunnel vision? You've got a clear, clear shot at the quarterback. You're running at him from behind, like, Tell us kind of a little bit about how you were feeling or like, you know, what you remember about that. So I'm pretty sure I missed the sack, the snap before that. And that was, I think I whiffed pretty bad. It's pretty embarrassing. Um, <laughs> so next snap, I just, if I get this kid, like I got to get him to the ground some kind of way. And I remember I kind of drove by, we call it a drive by kind of when you just run past them and, you know, just completely way off course. But I did a little U-turn, double back, Figured he would have tossed it already, got rid of it. He was getting rid of the ball pretty quick all day. Dude still had it, 
I had no idea. So I'm like, just get there. Just get there before he gets rid of it. Try to get a strip, try to get a strip sack, do something. Well, I'm sitting there chugging and he's hanging on to the football. And I'm like, all right, well, here we go. And so I close my eyes, grit my teeth. And next thing I know, everybody's, oh, and I'm getting slapped in the head from, I think, Compton or something like that hurt worse than the actual hit. Well, I'm surprised he didn't, he didn't fumble because, you know, watching it on film the next day, like, like you said, I had him dead to rights. I don't know how he hooked onto the ball, but credit to him for doing that because I think they got out with a field goal still. But if I'd have been able to punch it out and get a turnover, that would have been awesome. Then I probably would have made, you know, probably would have made one of the top hits of all time. But I, yeah. I got I to gotta say another thing. I got watching a couple highlights. Like I used to slap people around pretty good. Like I was, I was a pretty good hitter back in the day. I don't <laughs> yeah. think I get a lot of credit for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, and even the even the announcer right after that hit, he's like, and Price holds on to the ball. Like everybody was just as shocked as you are. Like it was, yeah, yeah, it was he, violent. Is, is there a better feeling in the world than after you lay one of those hits? Like that, that seems to me like it has to be the greatest feeling ever. Yeah, because that's kind of the pinnacle of being a defensive lineman is just laying somebody out. So, I mean, yeah, that's 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 one of the cooler things about football. You can hit somebody as hard as you can and not go to jail for it. <laughs> and, and even in this era of, you know, concussions and targeting, targeting. it's yeah. still when you're playing football, you put those pads on and you're a defensive lineman or a sec, a member of the secondary you're trying to take a dude's head off. Let's not try to freaking pussy. Co- uh, it's football. Stop it. It's football. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, Everybody I'm sorry, signs a waiver. That's what I'm saying. Into, so, I mean, yeah, you're fair game. You got the football. You're, you're uh, enemy number one. So <laughs> anytime I hear the word defenseless on a football field, I, I cringe. Cause it's like, you know, exactly what you're, you're playing. You're playing a contact sport. Like you're never defenseless on a football field. <laughs> you yeah. strap them up and you go. Yeah, yeah you know they, if you've got the ball, there's 11 dudes on the other side that are there just to kill you. Yeah, that's the point. They say keep your head on a swivel for a reason. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so Jared, somebody. you are our first defensive lineman on no block, no rock. We've had probably 40 what? plus players Is that true yes i looked it up i had to look it up offensive linemen we've had so many offensive linemen so is there anything as a defensive lineman that you can say to oppose an offensive lineman? we've had so many offensive linemen they right. love the spotlight we <laughs> like i'm so glad to finally get a defensive lineman on here like is there anything that you can say like mentality wise that you going up against an offensive lineman that it's like all right like this is the difference between an offensive lineman and a defensive lineman. Like, what do you have? Like, the the O linemen seem to think that they are the the sharpest, the sharp, the yeah. the hardest guys on that field. <laughs> Refute that. I mean, they are the smartest guys, but that's. Oh, uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of tough offensive linemen. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, the reason defensive linemen are defensive linemen because we're more athletic and faster and better looking. To be honest. So. Oh, yeah. Hey. Oh. You know, people say that. People even say on, that. Even on Zoom, it's pretty. Yeah, it's apparent. <laughs> yeah, we can tell. A lot of offensive linemen have come in person, and it's like, oh boy. Hey, and <laughs> but you on Zoom, it's like <laughs> all of our all good. of our previous like Tatum over here. Shit. <laughs> all of our previous linemen guests, we love you too. Uh, however, oh, yeah, we do. Yeah, you yeah. should see Jared. My God. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> We're not lying. Um. So. I, I just want to go back to 
your senior year, before your senior year, you were actually featured on the Sports Illustrated cover. Mm-hmm. And, you know, before we get into the headline, which said Big Ten's new bully, we can get into how, you know, that turned out. But just kind of go back to that moment of, like, who got in touch with you about that? How did that whole process kind of come about? You going on Sports Illustrated. Yeah, so I think it was Keith Mann, the uh, kind of the head of the media relations. I think he came up and said, hey, sport, yeah, I think Sports Illustrated, whoever owns Sports Illustrated wants to do, you know, a photo shoot with you. And he said, like, Andrew Luck and I think Alshon Jeffrey, a couple others. What? And I thought it was going to be, you know, everybody together. We're going to go to some cool location, you know, for a couple of days during fall camp. And I'm going to be able to hang out in the sun while everybody else is beating each other up there in two days. <laughs> but they're like, okay, yeah, cool. We're ready for you. Let's just, you know, head on up to the I think it was West Stadium somewhere. Like, all right, like, here we go. So go up there and they got the camera set up, little, you know, patch of, you know, three by three of turf. Like, all right, put your jersey on. Here we go. So I put the jersey on, get in the poses they want me to do. And they take like five pitches and they're done. Like, all right, bud, go back to practice. You're like, fuck. Bullshit. But I had done I'd done a couple more kind of magazine deals by that time. So it really wasn't too big of a deal. Um, um yeah, then the actual like issue came out and Big Ten's new bully, and I'm sitting there looking like a dweeb. No, you look you look hard, dude. You look freaking tough. Oh, yeah. Seriously. Or whatever the Photoshop does. One, well, they sit there and they sat there and sprayed yeah. me in the face with water like 20 times to make it look like I was sweating. Oh, <laughs> that's that's awesome. Pretty sure it was saline because my eyes were burning the whole time. <laughs> you gotta make it look real, baby. Yeah, I guess you gotta be authentic. And you're thinking like where are the su- the swimsuit models? Yeah, at? where are the models <laughs> at? Well, I remember I yeah. Kate Upton. Like I got, I was Playboy All American. I remember like Adam Carricker. He actually used, or he got to go out to California to the to the mansion or something like that. So when they told me I was going to be Playboy All American, I thought I was going to get a free trip to California, and that never materialized either. It's all smoking here. <laughs> Where the hell is you at? Yeah, he's wasting you. You ain't worth go it. Go down to the grotto, baby. That hasn't been on Character Chronicles. AC, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, dude. I shouldn't have. Why don't I mean, everybody knows about that. out there. Oh, he's fine. <laughs> okay. Um, so, a hell of a transition. We're going from Adam Character and Playboy to sportsmanship, <laughs> Jared, <laughs> which you, you, you're the only person that can say this. You are Nebraska's very first winner of the big 10 sportsmanship award right so just get into maybe what you did in order to get that award and what kind of it meant to you uh you know honestly i don't know how i got that um the sportsmanship award because sportsmanship and jared crick usually don't fall into the same sentence but (laughs) as far as like community service and stuff it's always good to give back i mean so I remember we did a lot of community service um, throughout my career. Um, the life skills department does a great job of, you know, setting us up with going out, you know, to meet, you know, at the schools, libraries, you know, events, um, hospitals, obviously. So a lot of cool stuff to get involved with community, get your name out, especially if you're not a guy who's on the field a whole lot, not getting a lot of camera time. 
um, getting out of the community, making your name known, doing some good deeds, getting your, your name in the newspaper. That's probably the best marketing you can you can really have. Um, but obviously, you know, don't do it for those reasons only. Obviously, you know, seeing smiles on kids' faces, you know, makes everything. Doesn't matter how bad my day was. I could have had the worst lift ever. I could have been exhausted. But seeing a kid who's actually excited to see, you know, just a Nebraska football player didn't have to know me from Adam. I mean, it kind of justified, you know, all those hours that we put in in the community. It was it's awesome. Um, but I think really they just gave me an award because they felt bad for me. I was, you know, their preseason uh, all Big Ten defender of the year or whatever and, and go down before really Big Ten play really even starts. So then they kind of just gave me something to give me a little bit of recognition. But, you know, we did a lot of good stuff in the community and, you know, did a lot of had a lot of fun with that. Hey, buddy. <laughs> well, hey, that's on, uh, that's on the computer. Yeah. Night night. Who who is that? That's my little boy. Little boy. What's his name? Give his him a name shout out. Baylor, but it has nothing to do with the oh, school. Oh, oh, he says sex. I don't think about the game. <laughs> All right, night night, buddy. Love you. Sweet dreams. Okay, that's literally the most ironic thing I've ever heard that in my is, life. I don't think is. about Baylor. I don't <laughs> think about Baylor. Yeah, your yeah, I gotta, kids, I, however, my I gotta defend son. myself every time. And I didn't even come up with the name, it was my wife. So, and it <laughs> promise had nothing to do with the game, nothing to do with the school. We, we spell it a, di- a right. different way. So, is his middle name five sacks and seven tackles for loss? <laughs> <laughs> it really it had nothing to do with it either. I promise. Baylor TFL Crick. Baylor <laughs> record Crick. <laughs> love it, love it, love it, love it. Yeah, okay, so, so you, you know, after your time in Nebraska, you did play in the NFL. You are an NFL vet, which is really nice to have because, you know, we've had a lot of guys on here, but not a lot of guys who have like a longevity of NFL experience. So can you talk about the transition from playing college football in the Big 12 and the Big 10 to playing in the NFL? I mean, you played for the Texans and then you played for the Broncos for a little bit. Uh, talk about mm-hmm. that a little bit. It was probably a little bit tougher for me coming off. Uh, so I tore my pec my senior year and I was done probably week six. And I had not played football really from October, maybe first week of October, all the way until, you know, our first preseason game in August. So I, even though we had practices, still I rehab, get my pec right. I didn't have, I wasn't in football shape, didn't have a football experience, especially at the highest level where you're going against guys who are all pros, been in the league for about 10 years. So that was kind of an adjustment, even though it was still football at the end of the day, it was just kind of recalibrating my body, getting back used to the, to the pounding and, you know, getting my hands to where they needed to be every snap and my eyes. And it took, you know, probably six weeks of, you know, regular season play before I felt comfortable. It's like, okay, this is what I do. Like, I'm ready for this now. Um, so after that adjustment, you know, it was a lot of fun. I had a good, real good group in Houston. Um, had guys like JJ Watt, um, you know, Brian Cushing, you know, yeah. Daniel Manning, Jonathan Joseph, guys who have been in the league for, well, not JJ at that time, but guys who had so much experience, Andre Johnson, guys who, you know, there's a lot of vets in the NFL that just stick to themselves, keep their knowledge to themselves. The guys I was around down there, I mean, they were an open book. I could go up and ask them just about anything, about a scheme, about a certain player, and they would just just let it hang out. I mean, they were really good vets. So had a really good experience in Houston, um, won a couple – 
uh, division championships for whatever that's worth. Um, obviously the AFCs, you know, it, back in the day, it was like, you know, running the gauntlet every week. So yep. went to Denver, you know, to be closer to home, be closer to family, um, being a little bit more of a, I guess, a climate that I'm used to. Uh, had a lot of fun there. Um, a lot of good teammates. Uh, it's kind of the same deal. Um, my second year in Houston or Denver, I had to have back surgery and that pretty much shut me down into retirement. And here I am now. <laughs> so on no block, no rock podcast. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, no. I didn't mean like that. I just meant old. Uh, playing in both the, in the AFC South and in the AFC West. Um, this is a bit of a selfish, selfish question. Uh, who was the hardest team you played while you were in the NFL? And why was it the Indianapolis Colts? <laughs> Andrew Luck. <laughs> I'm a huge Colts fan. I had to say that. I'm sorry. Um, no, I mean, they, they gave us so a lot of fit. I mean, when I was with Denver, I think we beat them. Um, but yeah, in Houston, we couldn't, we couldn't get past them for whatever reason. We played them twice a year, every year. I think we only came away with one victory my whole four years in Houston, just because Andrew Luck and T.Y. Hilton, I mean, we'd be in a tight game and a dogfight and they just connect on a 70 yard bomb. And that'd be it. We'd fall apart. <laughs> yeah. and it, was, it was tough. And it was always on primetime national television. It felt like so Andrew well, Luck, man, he's, he's special. I think we've got another question, actually, about your time in the AFC West. Yeah. So right before this, you know, I texted my dad, of course. And I'm like, hey, you know, you have any questions for Jared Crick? And he's like, I sure do. He's <laughs> like, you know, he played for the Broncos and uh, he's an OG Oakland fan. Right. So he wanted to know kind of your experience, uh, you know, going into Oakland and, and playing in there in front of their fans. It's a, that's an environment. Um I mean, even when I was with Houston, that environment was pretty electric. They get after their they're a passionate fan base, but that was probably the worst game I ever had in my NFL career. And the reason I'll blame it on is you know they have a baseball field, you know, pretty much half the football season. Well, I think they had just sodded over the, you know, the diamond. So there was no footing, anything like that. And I rolled in with no detached cleats. I was on molded cleats on pretty much height. <laughs> then I'm going against Kelechi Asamele, who's all pro, not just pro bowl, but all pro that year. And I just, we're, I'm getting double teams left and right. I'm just, I'm over it. I'm done with football after that game. I'm like, I'm out of here. You're on and then I, like, yeah, Monday night football too. So I was like, so what was, I guess, what was your worst matchup, college or pro? What was the matchup that you just dreaded going against? Hmm. When I, so pretty much my best time in the NFL was when I was playing three techniques on, on top of a guard. But whenever they push me out, you know, the five tech that rush in, which my body's not built for, I don't have, you know, nine foot long arms where I can, you know, get on those guys before they get on me. So going against like Tyron Smith um, from Dallas, that sucked because he has, you know, long arms, like his arms go down to his knees. He's already a six, eight. So I'd come off the ball and his hand would be already be in my face, just mushing me. I can't get him off. And by the time I do get his hands off, ball's gone. It's like, I'm doing nothing out here. Like put me back where I can at least go against like Travis Fredericks, another all pro. Like I fare better against this guy than I do Tyron Smith. It's just matchups and stuff like that. But 
anytime they put me on the edge, it didn't matter. Joe Thomas, anybody, really any all pro offensive tackle. I just couldn't do much against because I'm just, like I said, I don't got those long arms. I don't have that four, three speed off the ball. Like, you know, the Vaughn Millers that DeMarcus wears. Right. So I just, I was just out there filling space whenever they put me on the edge. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, okay. so total opposite. Who was the guy that you were just itching to get matched up against? Oh yeah. A guy that you knew you were going to get wins on. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't necessarily even wins, but just going against like Marshall Yonda. So I don't. Yeah. Raven. Really? And it's, it's awesome. Cause you know, he, he's not a big guy at all. So he's probably all a six, two and he looks two fifty. So you're going to get thinking, okay, like I should, I should fare pretty well, but you know, he's Marty, you know, he's an all pro. So like, okay, let's, let's see what he's got. And he comes off the ball harder than anybody in the NFL. So Always having those matchups where we're just every snap, just just button heads. Like that's that's football in its in its rarest form. Like that's 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 the game in in essence right there. So going against a guy like him, I mean, that's awesome. Like I said, he's had one of the better careers of any offensive lineman in the NFL. And like I said, you look at him, you wouldn't expect he's a football player at all, let alone you know an all all pro guard. So going against guys like that, where you know you're gonna have your hands full, but you know, you can sit back and five years later, you know, talk on a podcast about those guys. That was always, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Hey, I'm glad it's this podcast. That damn right. <laughs> and the fact that he's a, an Iowa grad and all that, it's, you know, it's, did that yeah, add yeah, a little yeah. bit of competitiveness to it? Knowing that he was from Iowa? No, cause we weren't really a thing back then. Iowa and right. Nebraska, we weren't a couple yet. We were still pretty, I mean, when, I don't even know when the rivalry really started kicking up. Once they started, once winning. Bo got fired, that, that's yeah. when it started. So, yeah. So back then, it wasn't really too much of a thing. It's like, okay, you're Iowa, we're Nebraska, cool. We see each other once a year. Now, maybe there might have been something. Now, you know, you put Marshall and I, you know, go head to head again. Maybe there's a little, little bit more juice there. Yeah. Was there a guy that you felt that like pure competition between you and him? Was there a guy out there that you you really wanted to like fight? Uh, fight? Hmm. Not not fight, but like fight against. Like go head to head and like yeah. take that on. Compete with, yeah. And you know, there's guy like it's mainly guys that I played against, you know, and when I was at Nebraska. So anybody that you know from like Ogie State, Oklahoma, those guys were Oklahoma especially. There's a ton of those guys in the league, especially on the offensive line, like you know Trent Williams. Yeah. Always fun going against him just because we went against each other, you know, in college. Same thing with, you know, Kalechi, Asimeli. Like, he was at Iowa State. I was, you know, obviously in Nebraska. We went each other a couple times, you know, before we even met in the NFL. So, seeing those guys again, there's a lot of guys that you work out with, you know, leading up to the draft. That's you're, you know, wherever you're training that, you see those guys, you're doing one-on-one -on -one drills with them. It's kind of fun, you know, to go against them in a, you know, where the bullets are, you know, flying. It's, it's live fire. So, because, you know, you battle it out between the whistle. Then after the game, you, you dap it up. And, hey, man, good to see you. Great game. Like, you know, stay healthy. So those are the matchups you always look forward to. And obviously you want to show out and, you know, prove all the all the gains you made and all the all the progress that you've, you know, been able to been able to generate. Yeah. Um. Just something that I'm curious about. And this is my personal morbid curiosity. I don't know if you're big on Twitter. But there was a WWE wrestler who had a torn pectoral muscle. His name is Cody Rhodes. And his whole arm and like shoulder was like purple. 
And I know mm-hmm. that you suffered a torn pectoral yourself. Did yours look like that as well, where it was just purple all up and down your arm? Yeah, so it was kind of cool, actually. So you <laughs> okay. okay, that's not the explanation I was expecting to start off. <laughs> so, I mean, you got a half glass full kind of guy. But yeah, so my bicep, like the whole inside of my arm was purple, but I had like a little yellow streak yeah. that looked like kind of like a lightning bolt. Hell yeah. <laughs> It's going down my my forearms. Like this would be a cool tattoo idea, and kind of considered it a little bit, but because I had a story behind it at least, so it was pretty cool. But then it starts turning green and gnarly, and then they cut me open. So, uh, but yeah, there's there's definitely levels to pecs. I know a lot of guys who pair the, you know, tear the belly, and that's not a big deal. I mean, that didn't hurt too bad. But my tendon actually ripped out of the humerus and was like dangling inside of my chest. Oh my god. So they had to like reach in, dig it out, and connect it. Completely normal. Completely normal. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. You know, I just don't have full motor control anymore, but who needs it? Worth yeah. it. Worth, Worth it. it. <laughs> On a podcast, we definitely need full motor motor function of That's our right. We have to move yeah. mics up and down. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jared, I think we're at a really good point. Let's let's tell the listeners kind of what you're doing now. Obviously, we opened with you said you're doing a little insurance. Um, what have you done since you've left Nebraska? Um, plug yourself. Where can people find you? Tell tell the listeners everything they need to know about Jared Crick in 2022. Yeah, well, like I said, I'm doing insurance here in my hometown of Cozad. Um, been pretty busy doing that, raising two kiddos. Um, you know, I'm not huge on Twitter. I'll try to be sarcastic here and there. Most times I'll, you know, whiff on them, but so be it. Um, (laughs) yeah, not too much going on other than that. Just, you know, just doing my thing really. And that's it. Obviously obviously still watch the Huskers every Saturday cheering for them. And, you know, hopefully everything gets turned around here pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, if, if, if you're ever in Lincoln for a game day, We've got the tailgate, NBNR tailgate. Mike puts it on every single week, so we'd love to have you and the family out there. Uh, we've got some cold beers with your name on it, and, uh, yeah, we cook out and all that other good stuff. They're not always craft beers either, I'll tell you that. Like, yeah. we, <laughs> that <laughs> I'll tell you, if you're looking for craft beers, you should come to Omaha, and I know a really nice tap room. It's called Nebraska Brewing Company. You should come there. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to hit you up. Don't think I won't. I'll, Please do. I'll be around. Yeah, I know. Come next time you're going to be around town or whatever, definitely hit us up. Uh, we'll get you in here, uh, have a couple free drinks, and, and we'll give you a tour of the brewery and everything. This Absolutely. is the largest yeah. brewery in the state of Nebraska. So um, say it looks pretty massive. Yeah, the tour is even cooler. So, I mean, there's like so many ways to die inside of there. It's yeah. awesome. You should not say that on air, but yeah, no, it is a big brewery and I will absolutely buy you a, a couple oh. beers and we can walk around and you'll hear me talk for like two hours as if you already haven't. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that an OSHA thing? Like you dying? We don't talk about OSHA. Do you still okay. go to games, Jared? Uh, you know, this past year was the first time I'd been in probably 10 years. Okay. We went, well, it was actually our 10 year uh, reunion for the Northwestern game. So went to that and then went to the Iowa game. You know, now that my little boys are getting a little bit bigger, I think we'll try to make as many as we can. Take advantage of your player tickets, man. All right. What player tickets? Yeah. Oh, oh, really? Hey. Trev? Yeah. Come where on. is Trev Alberts? Yeah. Fire Trev. I'll fight. First, him. it was balloons. I'll fight him well, for actually, you, Jared. First, it was Jared Crick getting screwed out of tickets. And then it was freaking balloons. <laughs> fire this man. What is this world coming to? <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Jared Crick, 
if you're anything like you are over Zoom, we want you on NBNR in person. Make it happen, please, because you're you're an absolute treat. And thank you so much for coming on. And uh, I mean, we greatly appreciate it. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure, guys. We want to thank Jared Crick once again for coming on No Block, No Rock. Even though he didn't have a whole lot to plug, I respect the the small scale, the humility that he showed. Because a lot of all these other guys, they come on and they have these insurance and they have these these Twitters and these Indeeds and all that. Not for Jared Crick. He's humble, right? He comes on No Block, No Rock. Like we're doing him a favor, okay? Well, (laughs) and I want to plug Jared Crick because he didn't, he, like I said, he's a very humble guy. Didn't want to plug himself. So I'm going to plug him real quick. If you want to find him on Twitter, it's at Jrod V Crick. You can find him on social media. Such a great dude from Cozad, Nebraska. Just showing that those, those Nebraska values. And you could just feel it through the interview. And if you guys enjoyed that interview, make sure you give him a follow. Um, If you need insurance, reach out to him. I mean, like I said, he's he's a very personable guy. You listen to the interview. I mean, and, and look, unfortunately, he's a guy you think of 2009. It's Indom Sue, Texas, etc. But this is a dude who's an All Big Ten conference performer. He was an All American, like NFL vet. NFL vet. Thank you. Like he's a dude that's been around. He put in the work, and he, quite frankly, helped Nebraska win a lot of games. And yeah, probably in a, a Big 12 championship if you ask Bob <laughs> And us. <laughs> yeah, as any of us. Yeah, so again, Jared, thank you for coming on. Um, we want to plug our website, nbnrpodcast.com. We've got merch on there. Merch. Merch. Handbags. Dude, we got shirts galore, hats. Mike's wearing a freaking tight-ass polo. Dude, that thing is just... I want to jump on you right now and just... Big Daddy take, Mike. I want to take it for myself, Big Daddy. The polos look nice, even on Mike, which is a statement. <laughs> hey, you know what? I've shifted to dad mode, so it's like I feel like I need to like dress better than all of you guys because I, I am better than all of you now. The new balances will be next week. <laughs> yeah. So if you guys give me some pre-grass stain new balances, that would greatly appreciate yep. it. No free shout-outs. No, so. you got to stain those Fuck yourself. New Balance. <laughs> we should clarify that... If you want to buy one of our polos, you don't have to be a dad, okay? You can be like me and be single and have a dog. You can buy this polo. It'll still look good on you. Or you can just and like you- straight up not acknowledge your kids. Either or. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay, guys. Um, find us on Spotify, right? Anywhere you get your, your podcast, Apple, whatever. Just Google us. We're going to be there. Give us a five-star review. Find us on Twitter, at NBNR Podcast. Find us on Instagram, Facebook. We're All posting of- videos and all kinds of shit on there. Go like it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you want to go see a good old highlight from any era of Nebraska football, you're going to get it from No Block, No Rock because that's yeah. what we fucking care about. Hell yeah, man. We embra- We live in the past a little bit, but damn it, if Nebraska, we have a past at damn least. Right. So let's live in it as long as we can, especially if the present isn't. Until the future comes. So good. Until the future comes. Okay. Let's sign off, guys. I'm one of your hosts, Jared Hall. Kyle Byers, Mike Delaware, and Connor Cadillac. And as always, GBR. <laughs>